Now, the government might act very differently because they still ridiculously demand that my arms are covered when I work, walk into the building as if my naked arms will cause GDP to fall and trousers to drop at the same time, which is a load of bloody nonsense. I just ignore those fools. I'm making money. I've got what you want. If you don't like me, it's irrelevant. I don't think about you at night. But you cannot deny the necessity for what I have to offer. Welcome to episode three of the Global Startup Movement's six-week community activation of the MENA startup ecosystem. Today, we have two of the leading women in tech and venture capital in the Middle East and Africa who will be having a candid discussion about what it's like being a woman co-founder of a regional technology scale-up and what women leadership will mean for the region moving forward. For this episode, I decided to take a step back and give the mic over to Joy Ajlauni, who we met in the last episode, and Viola Llewellyn, who is the co-founder and president of Avambo Solutions, an award-winning African trade tech company that creates culturally attuned technologies for banks and central banks so that they can serve emerging market SMEs with innovative Sharia-compliant trade finance products. And a special thanks to our presenting partner, the Export-Import Bank of the United States. As the global middle class grows and technology makes the world smaller, opportunities have never been greater for American businesses to reach customers beyond the U.S. border. Exim provides federal resources to access capital and mitigate foreign risk. And no business is too small. Let Exim help you export fearlessly to the MENA region and beyond. Visit export.gov slash MENA to learn more. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of challenges of running a, a scale-up as a woman in the Middle East, in my experience. And I can tell you that, you know, there's there's an advantage and there's a disadvantage. I think the advantage is, you know, they never let, they never see you coming. I think as a woman, when you're, when you're doing this here in the Middle East, you're kind of a little bit of an underdog. They don't expect you to come in. There's not that many women. So I think, I think there's advantages if you're able to come in and actually really show yourself as a force of nature, as somebody who really knows what they're doing and catch them off guard. It's not as easy as answering a simple question, you know, uh, as are there challenges? Yes, there are definitely challenges only because, you know, the Middle East is still a place that is still uh, seeing women changing work roles, right? This is basically a traditional place where not everyone, but a woman's role is is mainly to get married and to have children. And, and they're more traditional in their thinking. But I think as the divorce rate has increased and women's roles are changing, I think more and more women are getting into the to the workforce. So I think, you know, I think this is the right time, but it's the time when things are changing. So I think the challenges are you know, how you're perceived as, as a woman in the workplace. I always say this, I think, you know, working in the, in the Middle East and working in Silicon Valley, I built two startups, one from this region and one from California. And I can tell you that I, I have seen challenges with women in the Middle East where women are respected, but they're, they're not equal. And I actually think, believe it or not, in the Middle East, it's a little easier because in the United States, they're not respected and they're not considered equal. So I think there's, in my experience, it, and again, there's a lot of variables in this. It's not a cookie cut answer, but if you present yourself as somebody who knows what they're doing and you come forward with that energy, I believe in my experience that you definitely have more of an advantage being a woman in the Middle East because there is a respect factor. 
not an equality, but a, a respect factor that you can definitely use to your advantage if you present yourself as somebody to be respected. That's, that's what I have experienced in. Yeah, I'm really feeding into what Joy is saying. To be perfectly honest, it's the first, one of the first times I've heard somebody answer the question from that perspective. Do you want to be liked or do you want to be respected is what resounds, what resonated with me. Yeah. I think we're going to have to come to a point where we no longer have this as a question of any serious merit because not all experiences as a woman in emerging markets or frontier markets are as negative as people would like them to be. I echo joy. I've actually found over the years that it has gone from being a difficult situation to being, being a woman in business to where I get a lot of respect. There aren't many like me. Women are really coming out in droves. So that narrative yep. is beginning to shift. I also believe that the fact that I am black and Cam of Cameroonian descent with this weird, silly accent and a totally different set of behaviors means that most men don't have a toolbox for how to take me down. That just does not happen. When I was trying to be in timber, those trouser-wearing, testosterone-owning individuals behaved with such manic viciousness that I'm pretty sure they would do that to men as well. It's a cutthroat industry. So the behavior and the types of people that are in that industry do not lend themselves to respect in any way, shape or form. But in technology, I've always said that technology will be the equalizer and the leveler that allows people to be as uh, invisible or as visible as they want to be because it's digital. But because there is so much need in the fintech space in Africa, anybody that can come and help with compliance, reducing risk, making money for people mm. is going to get attention. Now, the government might act very differently because they still ridiculously demand that my arms are covered when I work, walk into the building as if my naked arms will cause GDP to fall and trousers to drop at the same time, which is a load of bloody nonsense. I just ignore those fools. I'm making money. I've got what you want. If you don't like me, it's irrelevant. I don't think about you at night. But you cannot deny the necessity for what I have to offer. Let's now fight about you giving me the bloody money. That's how I view this world. Viola, I like that. You've got the same fighting spirit that I have. Look, I have found, uh, just getting to this, this, this topic, I found it actually more difficult for a woman in the United States than it is in the Middle East. Same here. You, you as well, right? I think there's, yes. there's more discrimination with the, uh, with the venture capitalists in, in America. Yes, I'm not fond of them. They're bun they, some, not all, have a, a very cookie cutter and they are following a script that says, this is how you behave to achieve such and such persona or an effect. There isn't a lot of thought behind what are you really doing? And I found that to be the case in the UK when I was younger. I started my career uh, selling mainframes for IBM and worked with digital Unisys, large behemoths who barely exist anymore. So now everybody knows how old I really am. And in that time in the 80s, the sexism was high enough to the point that if a man didn't behave that way, he'd probably lose his job and he wouldn't get a pint at the, at the pub. Mm. So people did this. 
In fact, my mother, so concerned, went and took all my lovely manly shirts that I'd bought so that I could fit in and sewed ruffles down the front of one or two of them saying, why can't you be more ladylike? Almost took the poor woman's head off. Mm. But in retrospect, she probably had a point. But you have to grow through these things to reach your point of power. What do you think, Joy? Well, look, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I keep making this point, you know, and I keep saying this, and, and this is important for me to say. I, I get I get more equality here in the Middle East, honestly. And I and I, this is somebody who had a startup in Silicon Valley, and I had a startup here in the Middle East. Like I said, there's no equality on both sides, but at least there's a respect factor here. I don't know if that's tradition whether they look at you as a mother or a sister, there's a respect factor. I don't, I don't feel that respect factor in the United States. I think they, they, there's a definitely an easier path here in the Middle East. And I'm sure that it's the same in Africa, right? I think it's, again, Viola, don't you think it's how you conduct yourself? I mean, I walk in there and I'm very serious. And, and, I, and I said this in the beginning of the podcast, I, I'm, a po- I'm, a, I'm a force of nature. And I'm here and I'm here to make money and I have a path to make money. And I think the, the universal language across the board, being male or female, is if you make money, they're going to hear you. Right. Somebody doesn't change something that's broke. If it's working and you're making money and you're on that path and they see you as a path to making that money, then you're going to get the attention and respect that you deserve. But to get there, it's it's definitely a process. So that that's what I have found. And I, I have a feeling it's the same in Africa. I have a theory, and I and I, it's untested, but it's because of what you've just said, Joy. Yeah. The whole genesis of respect or lack of respect for women is actually an offshoot of a protectionist approach to women. Mm. I think any nation that has had to go to war to protect uh, women and property, which in some cases back then was the same thing, or any society that had women taken as chattel or as the spoils of invasion, Mm. eventually come around to that protection being perverted to an exclusion from general life. Now, in the United States, which is a nation with an overlay of individuals that came in when there were women and humans already here claiming they discovered it. Um, They did go through a phase during the antebellum period and that whole myth around Southern bells has meant that by putting women on a pedestal of delicacy, Mm. it has instead mutated over time to a divide that people can't remember why there was a division and has turned into oh, great, I now have an an advantage because I've gone and split the gender into two groups of one is more equal than the other. In Africa and Asia and the Middle East, where there were tribal units, where there was clear uh, matriarchal elements, the evolution has changed. So I'm looking forward to, in 2021, having much more of a a vocal stake in saying this horse BS needs to end. Mm. It's not universal around the world. It's not everybody's reality. Mm-hmm. I was raised with a father who always told me, you're so lucky to be black and female because the world is going to try to be against you, mm. which means you've always got to work three times as hard as anyone else. That means you are going to be permanently calibrated at the very high end mm-hmm. of just too damn good. Mm which means my worst day is somebody else's best day. Mm. 
And there's nothing wrong with me thinking I'm better than other people if I can prove it. Thanks, Dad. That makes total sense to me today. Yes, I'm functionally arrogant. I'm slightly nice most of the time. (laughs) But it means I can cope when this nonsense came up. And I know that we're having a conversation here, Joy, but let me share with you something that happened to me when I was about, I want to say 23 or 24. I had been unemployed for eight months. It was a bit of a depression uh, during the 80s with high unemployment. I kept applying for jobs and a job came up selling peripherals and um, disaster recovery services for a private uh, company in Swindon. Mm. I applied for the job, was sat there in a room full of people. Hundreds had applied, 30 were interviewed, 10 were shortlisted. I was one of two people who got the job. The guy who owned the company was actually sitting casually on the end of the table where I was signing my contract and said to me, put your pen down, I need to explain something to you. And he said, I don't like your kind. I said, I'm sorry, what do you mean? He says, I don't like black people, not one bit. I said, well, then why did you offer the job? He said, I'm not stupid enough to not hire the best person for the job. I'm telling you what, that I don't like black people so that your performance is not affected when I don't ask how your, your weekend is. I have zero interest in you as a human, but I really respect what you're able to do. And he says, it's your choice. I took the job, worked for that man for 18 months, one of the best work experiences I've had. Mm. And it tempered me to understand it's not about whether you like me. And it's barely about whether there are rules and laws about equality Mm. that give me a shoo-in. I'm good enough to get in here even when you don't Mm. like me. That's the best gift I ever had in my career. Now in America, they're going to go, oh, that's terrible. Let's build an association to stop that. Yeah, go on then. (laughs) It's not going to stop them. You know, that's a great story, actually, uh, Viola. I love it. I I love it. It's a, uh, it's the underdog story. And I I love that. I love, I love success against all odds. So it's wonderful. But you know, one of the other challenges that I found, like, you know, running a scale up in the women in the middle, Middle East area as well, is that, you know, look, I have a strong voice and I have something to say. And I noticed that there's this double bind that goes on here, which is like, if you're a woman who's at a table and I'm usually surrounded by a lot of men and I'm usually the only woman, you can imagine I I built a logistics company. So I'm at one point we had 6,000 men, right? And I was a woman at the top trying to make a go of this. And what's interesting is that when you get up in a room full of men, you know, yeah. at a board meeting and you have a voice and you have something to say, then all of a sudden you're labeled. And, and, and I had that all the time, which is like, oh, joy is disruptive. Joy is a troublemaker. You know, joy is abrasive. And, and it was just me having an opinion. And, I, and, you know, where a man is called powerful and a visionary and he's got some great ideas and he's extraordinary and my God, his ideas are wonderful you know, I'm called the other things. You never hear a man being called abrasive or like, you know, uh, too loud or too aggressive. Never. You never hear them talking about men like that. And that's the double bind, which is, do you want to be liked or do you want to be heard? So I find a lot of women keeping quiet for the sake of being liked. So everybody loves you, but you don't rise to the top. And so I tell women all the time, stand up, be heard, make yourself known. Exactly. Because don't care what anyone thinks. And, you know, if, if you look as a woman for a popularity contest 
and and you are affected by every time somebody has something negative to say about you, then you have no business business being a leader uh, in the Middle East or or, yeah. or anywhere. You have to really have thick skin because a lot of people are going to criticize you for having a voice, and that's something that I have found as a woman in the MENA rate region. So I tell all women, stand up, speak up, be heard, be seen, make yourself known. Joy, do you find that your leadership style uh, seems to get an extra boost from the fact that you're able to think logically, but you also have good embrace of your intuition and your emotional intelligence when well, dealing with people? Well, you know, people? I'm going to, Viola, great question. At the end of the day, you can hire an MBA. You can hire a CFO. You can hire somebody in operations. Hiring someone who has gut instinct and street smarts and emotional intelligence, who's a hustler, who has the drive and dedication and grit to keep going when you're punched in the face, that person is a hard person to hire. And that's a hard person to find. You can, you can hire the books, but the grit is, is, is a tough one. And those are far and few in between. Those Those are the people who are willing to do what it takes to get it done, no matter what the criticism says. And I find a lot of women to have that that backbone, if you will, here in the Middle East. I have hired two men with those exact same qualities. The first one, when we got started in Cameroon in 2013, we raised our friends and family capital. I found that majority of the friends and family capital I raised was from African-Americans and a large, of them, large number of them women, whereas the narrative says black people um, create additional poverty gaps with their inability to invest in each other. And I have found that to be completely mm. false. But when we took that money, went to Cameroon, we had a driver, Nestor. Nestor was smart, funny, very hyper aware of what was going on. And he happened to help us track down somebody who had defrauded Ovamba early in the days and recovered literally all of the money within 24 hours through his on the streets contacts. Hey, this is, it was amazing. Well, that was seven years ago. Today, Nestor is head of asset recovery and and tracking of movable assets and has started going to law school. These are things that wouldn't have happened if somebody hadn't said, I don't care that you don't have qualifications. You've got what it takes. We're mm. going to support you. Then we got another driver after that similar kind of persona with a sense of humor. He today is the head of a business unit that we're going to spin off into a company that he's going to run that does um, GPS tracking of motorbikes as a security feature because it's such a broad form of transportation. And Derek is brilliant. Again, never been to university, neither of them, but they're making it. But I think the reason I saw that in them is because I'm the same. I was 19 when I got pregnant and 20 when my son died. All of my plans to go to university and become a genetic engineer, that went up in smoke. I did what you just described. I had to go and hustle and talk my way into IBM. But that is something that you can't find. That's rare. I have that same exact grit, that street smart, 
that that you know bang the door slam the door in my face 50 times i'm going to come back and i'm going to make it work right that relentlessness that bull in a china closet energy and that is something that i find hard to find right and what's really interesting is that you know everyone talks to me about leveling the field for women you know raising capital in the middle east how do you raise money well how do i raise money is very simple i ask you for it yeah no i ask you for it but you know what VCs and investment, you know, offices, they they invest in people. You've got no track record at the beginning of that yeah. journey. So anybody who's asking you, especially for our markets, a bunch of data, a bunch of information, and the other one that is just ridiculous, we are looking for a disruptive solution. Um, what other solution are you like? Really? <laughs> Those two don't belong well, in the same, same sentence sometimes. No, they, they don't. But raising, you know, women raising capital in, I'm sure, in Africa, I mean, at the end of the day, they're investing in you because when they're taking a chance, you know, 90% of all companies fail, right? Startups or initiatives, they, they, they don't mm-hmm. succeed. They have to go by gut instinct. And the gut instinct is not your MBA from Harvard or Stanford. You know, because, you know, you look at all the startups in Silicon Valley, the majority of them are all dropouts out of Stanford. There is a particular type of mindset for what you're describing, yeah. There's at least for the goals that you're describing. And it relies on the intrinsic ability to respond and pivot without building up brick walls of logic to tell you why you can't. There is a big, there is, it's almost the same energy to figure out why something doesn't work as it is for figuring out why it does. But it takes a very different level of mental wiring to then go on to build a brick wall to prevent risk based on all the things that are going to go wrong. I have also found that when you're a founder or you're running a company and you hit some of those brick walls, you have to be very critically and emotionally aware when your fear starts um, uh, making oh, you um, prevent loss and not create revenue and opportunity. So Viola, Viola, you just, you just hit on something that I'm very What's passionate that? about. You you hit exactly what I wanted to hit on fear. I, 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 you know, you must, and correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. You must be the kind of person that's not afraid to make a mistake. And, and and I'm not that kind of person. And I have a feeling you're not either. Analysis paralysis. Oh, my right? word. I, I use that term all the time. They were alike. Uh, I just think that people overanalyze, analyze, for God's sakes, do something. You know, take an action. If it doesn't succeed, it's okay. Decision making is a virtual cycle. It's you have a 50-50 chance of getting it right or wrong. Yep. The thing that people are afraid of is the outcome. But if you have a track record of success, even if it's only 50-50, the likelihood is you can actually deal with the fallout of a mistake or an error. You are only going to be as wealthy and as successful in in direct opposition to how much fear and loss you can absorb and experience. This is why poor people can win the lottery and be poor again not long afterwards. You're, you have to be able to build your capacity for loss and fear if you're going to be able yes. to achieve because they are directly related. Yes. And I, and I, and I completely agree with that. I think the, the, the part of the secret to my success, and I can speak only on behalf of myself, is that I don't live in fear. 
because fear is about worrying about something that hasn't happened yet and a complete waste mm-hmm. of time. So I, I personally counter my, my success to not living in fear and I execute. I think execute, execute, execute are, is the most important thing to make something successful. And I don't look at failure. I look at failure as a learning curve. And, and people say that and they're like, oh, failure is a learning curve. But it really, it really is. You know, I look at it like I'm going to try that. If it doesn't work, I'm going to try something else. If that doesn't work, I'm going to try something else. I don't look at it as a failure. I look at it as a, a positive response, which is I'm going to try the it. The silver bullet for that is if you're very clear on what the goal is, it doesn't matter how you get there. You have a choice in life. You can be a process-oriented person or a goal-oriented person. You sound like a goal-oriented person. So am I. So do you. I also don't have, uh, it's not that I don't have fear, I'm not afraid. I have found myself to be recklessly enthusiastic about all the things that could possibly happen that would be so fantastic that there's always, um, there's always going to be a moment after a bad moment because that's how it works. So I look forward to those. I'm happy to go through absolute poop to get to the best bits. And I, and Viola, I'm the same way. You know, I've gamified no. I actually enjoy getting a no because I look at it immediately as a challenge to get a yes. But then again, I'm that kind of person. And again, when you're talking about raising capital, you know, in, in the Middle East and in Africa, that's what you invest in, right? That's what, that's what you need to portray, your idea is one thing. There are a lot of companies in Silicon Valley where the investors invested in the team because they knew that they could figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the most important thing. You know, even, even myself, when I talk to a lot of investors, you know, they're like, what do you think? I said, what's the theme like? Because that's, that's what it's all about, really. And, and I think women who portray themselves like that, you know, as problem solvers, as go-getters, as hustlers, as as relentless, as having a backbone, has not taking no for an answer. Those are the women that are going to get funded anywhere in the world, right? Because- you know what? I gave a piece of advice to a group of very young women who were trying to ask me for mentorship. I hate that comment. I hate the question. And I hate that discussion. I'll explain in a minute. But one of the things that they asked was, how do you get to be successful? I said, you get to be successful by being willing to do some of the stuff that other people don't want to do. So for me, not having the credentials and blah, 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 which is slightly irrelevant, what I used to do is I would find the smartest and most successful white man in the room (laughs) because that's just how the world is, is wired. And I would look for the things he couldn't do or wouldn't want to do, and I would do them. And I would become valuable, and I would siphon and steal as much mentorship as I could. Mm. And I would fake it till I make it. Mm. And I would <laughs> seek ways to be the voice of when he was not around so that I became the de facto leader without having to say I'm the leader. Because after all, in many of these jobs, I was really just an executive assistant. And that's when I came to the United States, as I started to rebuild my career from the United Kingdom. So explaining to young women, you do not need permission to to display brilliance, competence, or to say, I can solve this problem. You just have to go do it. People are not going to be upset that you fixed the problem. They might be a bit, have their nose kicked, put, uh, put out of joint that you did. Those are individuals with very fragile egos, so don't worry about that. 
take it. Don't wait for it to be given. Don't come and ask me for mentorship. Sit by me and become my friend. Steal what you can. Mm. That's it. Mm. But don't you think that there are some things that can't be learned? Don't you think there are some things? You can't rush time. There are some things that take time. There are some things that can't be taught. And there are some things that can't be learned. I'm not asking. In fact, I don't even think you're saying, Joy, that everybody should run out and become a brilliant female tech entrepreneur and startup. The skills can be used in your private life or in your career, adapted to your capacity. Frankly, I think if you and I were to go and write a book similar to Tim <laughs> Ferriss's four-hour work week, yeah. we would be able to explain to people you can take a lot from the Steve Jobs of this world and all the rest of it even if you're not a founder you can use it in your life and this brings us to something else that women do my mother is a domestic diva she's a retired nurse my mother could do everything in our home better than my dad at top speed it didn't matter if it was hanging wallpaper digging a pond or cooking a meal she explained as part of that narrative that if you, if you want to be a successful woman, you've got to be able to say to yourself that I, not just that I can do everything, I can attempt to do everything well. Not everything has to be, to be brilliant. She's into volume. My dad was into quality. I get to do both of those things. So a lot of the behaviors I have at home, I actually bring into work. Typical example, my business partner is a brilliant MBA student. If spreadsheets were something illicit, he would have turned it into um, something quite questionable. The guy is Velcroed to spreadsheets. Mm. They are his explanation for everything. But if that first $5,000 that we raised, it took us six months. It's only $5,000, but here's where it went wrong. He thought the individual who kept asking questions and coming to meetings was trying to get as much information to make a decision. And I said, stop. I just asked the guy, how do you want to feel about giving us this money? And he looked at me and said, I just want to feel like I'm part of something. I had an MBA. I've worked in corporate America. I've never been part of a startup company. I said, so if you give me the money and I give you a business card, a title, invite you to meetings and you give us advice, will that satisfy the emotional need that you have that $5,000 would bring you? He said, yes. I said, well, if you give me the money now, I'll get your cards printed. And he did right on the stop. Marvin said, what the heck just happened? I said, you forgot the human. All human beings want to feel good about the stuff that they do. You know that if you're raising children, you know that if you're somebody's wife, you know that if you're somebody's daughter, these are business skill sets. Agreed. At the end of the day, most women are the same as any blue chip CEO. They've got to manage resources. They've got to check performance. They've got to deliver on initiatives and they need to create an environment where all the other individuals have the best opportunity to create lives and careers that will make them functional. That's exactly what you do as a CEO. That's exactly what you do as a woman in your home. So anybody who thinks that a a woman can't do it, you are absolutely insane. We're genetically predisposed to run this earth. In fact, you can't come here if we don't let you. (laughs) Women are bouncers of the planet. You know what? So don't be don't be ridiculous. Viola, I agree. Women are definitely more geared for this skill set because we yes indeed. But this is about corporate culture. You know, I think you create 
a corporate culture which which gets happy employees. I mean, even if you're hiring incredible engineers, engineers want to feel like they're part of something. They don't want to just feel like they're coding and and then working on something. They want to feel like they're in something that's greater than themselves, which is still part of that family unit that women instinctively have better resources of doing because it's something that we do with our own families, right? We're able to create an environment where you feel connected to something bigger than you, this 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 company, this family. And there, there are a lot of stories on corporate culture, right? Zappos was one of them, one of the big billion dollar IPOs. This is what makes companies strong, this exact kind of idea that you're talking about, which is this sense of, of belonging and feeling good about what you're doing and, and, and yeah. the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Be sure to tune in to episode two of Pitch Mina Live, which airs this Thursday at 8.45 Eastern or 5.45 Dubai time. This week's WhatsApp prompt is who's a woman leader in the MENA region that inspires you and why? Submit your answer through WhatsApp by sending a three-minute maximum voice note to plus one five seven one two three zero eight zero nine three. Thanks again to our presenting partner, the Export-Import Bank of the United States. As the global middle class grows and technology makes the world smaller, opportunities have never been greater for American businesses to reach customers beyond the U.S. border. Exim provides federal resources to access capital and mitigate foreign risk, and no business is too small. Let Exim help you export fearlessly to the MENA region and beyond. Visit exim.gov slash MENA to learn more. And be sure to visit www.ecosystemarabia.tv to drop in your email and be sure that you don't miss an episode of our Ecosystem Arabia miniseries.